right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. No Duval chant to start the show this week, unfortunately. Uh, proud of the boys. They fought hard. Listen, it was a, a, a dream season, if you will. Um, and, you know, a little bit a little bit beaten down over here, but overall, you know, the, the better team won that game. So I, I, I'm sorry I won't be greeting you with a Duval chant. Neil is here. Hello, Neil. Good evening, Solly. Good evening. Uh, we're, we're on a Mansky watch with, with John Rom. Back-to-back heading to a place he's super comfy uh exciting times in the golf world uh dj pie is here hello mr pie hey guys uh solly i'm i'm beating down myself a little bit for different reasons had a murder mystery party last night a little little slung over this morning mm, little knives out party kind of yeah yeah it was uh it was good stuff more of a more of a british 60s kind of uh vibe but it was uh it was very fun was this was this a family affair yeah it was my brother uh and his girlfriend's kind of joint birthday so who done it well, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil it if, if anybody else uh, finds the same, the same kit. But uh, it, it ended up being my brother. Not surprising. Right bang. Yeah, we do have some breaking news. Of course, the new Pro V One and Pro V One X are going to be available uh, this Wednesday, the twenty fifth, around the globe. We got to experience. Uh, we did a little testing of the golf ball out at, at TPI. We have no idea what we're doing when it comes to testing, but it's 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 an eye test thing, a field test thing, if you will. Tested all kinds of combinations. Uh, Randy said he loved the Pro V1X because of the window that ball is coming out of. He's finally launching it high. I believe the word he said was unbelievable, which I've never heard him get excited about any one of his own golf shots in that way. Casey, uh, she has told us that her ability to hold greens with the added height and spin of the Pro V1X, she's holding greens that she's never been able to hold before uh, in her life. So we're thrilled to hear that. Neil, what's your golf ball and why? I'm playing the Pro V1, tried and true. Uh, not the Pro V2, unfortunately, the Pro V1. And uh, my biggest takeaway, I haven't played a ton of golf with it yet, is more aesthetic. I, I love the feel of it. It's softer. It doesn't uh, it doesn't have the click. I like the white space on the ball. I think the the like direct horizontal Titleist logo, the, the arrows on the side, it, and it's easy to find white space if you're not looking for uh, for any logos. So it's it's been a nice change so far. Deej, what are you in? Uh, I'm in the Pro V1X. I'm almost going to cede my time to to kind of double click on what you're saying about Casey. I, I really like listening to her fitting stuff just because she seems like a prime candidate for something like the AVX, right? Like a, a longer distance, you know, kind of less spin ball. And it was very interesting to hear why she got fit into the Pro V1X and how much she's liking it because of what she's looking for is spin specifically. And uh, it, it was kind of a good way to flip the, you know, this is only for super elite players kind of uh, narrative on its head a little bit. I'm in the Pro V1. I, you know, was messing around with the X. It, I wasn't crazy about the X, just didn't fit my feel profile, if you will. And then I'm playing around with the Pro V1. I've got to go up over a tree with a 54 degree out of the rough. And I kind of caught it a groove low. It barely got over the tree, but it was hot. I was like, oh my God, that's going to hit the green and just fly. And it hit the back of the green and held uh, with out of the rough with that golf ball. I, I was like, okay, that's it. That's my golf ball for forever. Uh, that's my golf ball I'm playing. So again, they're available worldwide uh, starting this Wednesday. Uh, the 25th shout out to our friends at Titleist. John Rahm has won his fourth event in his last six starts. I think we can all agree if he wants to be number one, 
got to play better. He's got to he's got to play better. He's losing two uh, a third of the time that he's going out there right now, and uh, I think I, we just got to we got to see more. I think you could flip that on its head. It it you just keep doing the right things. It'll come. You know, like that that success will come at some point. John, don't don't worry about it. What a what a week, man! I, I was saying to you guys in Slack, he's when he gets going, he starts running downhill like he's just absolutely relentless. Like I thought that that bunker shot on eighteen was the perfect example of just oh no, you're you're not going to be getting any oxygen. Like I'm going to be holding you underwater. You, you, there's <laughs> the nothing buoy. you can do. He's the yeah, buoy. truly, truly, just he won't sink. And not only will he will he not sink, he's making other players sink around him. You know, it's just you're not going to get close to me, man. There's nothing. There's nothing you're going to do. I'm not going to make a mistake. Other than thirteen, his one his one blink in basically like a pretty flawless week. I mean, it's just. It's really, really fun uh, to watch him get going, and and you know not to fluff our own podcast, but I th- I think Solly, the interview you did with him last week was the latest in a, a number of examples of just how fun he is to listen to. And the more you listen to him, the more you want to root for him. The more you want to root for him, like the more fun it is when he plays well. It's just it's a really fun cycle that I think we're in with with John Rom. And I was floating to you guys on Slack too. I. I I would be happy to offer some sort of ROM forgiveness program to Randy if he ever wants to come back on this podcast and and discuss that. I think he needs to answer whenever he is back next for some really horrible takes. And I'd, I'd just like to really put the <laughs> screws to him as far as like, hey, you know, ROM goes out and wins every golf tournament. He plays Morikawa. What did we see in Hawaii? Like, how are we looking, Randy? How are we looking? Let's just talk about it a little bit. If I Sorry, can, I don't know why I got on that tangent. If I can play the go. role of Big Randy for a second here, though, because I you know, was t- typing up some notes, and I was just like, dude, I don't think Rom gets enough credit for being the superstar that he is. Both, you know, his golf is already back to his 2021 levels. Uh, and as I was going to say, like, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, first of all, what are we doing here? Second of all, like, the guy, there's, there's, there's so many reasons to root for this guy and be so impressed with uh, how he speaks, how he analyzes things, his willingness to just, you know, be outspoken. I was, I loved that podcast and it finally got to the point where like, it was like two days later and I was like, oh yeah, English is his second language. Like, and he just ran circles around me in that whole pod. He was like, he was there for a debate. He was prepared. He had listened to a bunch of our podcasts, was ready to debate me. As soon as we hung up, he was like, listen, I don't know how many times I'm going to shoot 63 to win a golf tournament. You guys are barely going to talk about me on the podcast afterwards, but he's got this awesome chip on his shoulder. But I think Randy's defense in this scenario would be like, all right, it's time for major number two. It really is because the talent outpaces his major total to this point. Now he's still young. He has met and exceeded all of the realistic possible hype you could have had for that kind of player coming out of uh, coming out of college and all the success he had in the amateur ranks. But I just wanted to shout him out for just being just a consummate professional. I, I don't even know who he works with out of a golf swing perspective. I've never heard of issues going on with his golf swing. He just shows up every day. And That's it's a just really good point. Like, I've never al- thought about that. <laughs> always there. It's always there. And I yeah. swear, I, 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 I'm going to say something that I don't think you can track or measure. If the golf hole was like a quarter of an inch bigger, I feel like Rom would have 30 wins. I feel like nobody <laughs> hits putts closer to the edge than Rom. And it's just, he always hits really good putts. He's a positive strokes game putter. He's a very good putter. And it feels like he's always around that hole. And it's just one of the, you know, when the weeks where it goes in, there's no one that can touch him. But I'm so impressed. And I think we're just going to see him just re hit that gas pedal. Uh, for uh, We were already seeing it for 2023. Solly, so much good stuff there. The the vocabulary, the second language vocabulary that's better than mine, always impressive. I think we actually spent some time with him back in November, 
and talking to him about how he hits driver and it, it talk about a repeatable swing. He's like, no, I just get to the top. I get to the spot and I go. And I remember saying to him like, John, go, go means a lot of things. You're going to need, we're going to need a little more than go. You know, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, no, like walk, like let's hear the feel. And then he kind of got into like getting to his left foot and getting to on, if you're looking at a clock on his follow through, he tries to get to like 10 o'clock or sometimes nine, like get his belt buckle around. And so now when I watch him, the way that he gets to like the outside of his left foot, it, I can't like, I see it all the time now, the way he gets through the ball. And it's such a simple move that I agree with you completely. It's just like he has the one of the most re repeatable moves on tour. And the, the last thing I want to say to your point of like burning the edge, I think when you watch him, he expects so much out of himself, especially like on the greens. He expects to make every putt, whether it's 30 feet or 10 feet. And then he gets, you know, he gets like frustrated with himself. It almost makes you like tricks you into thinking he's not playing as well as he is. Uh, yeah. Or at least for me, that's how I feel. I'm like, oh man, Rom's having a tough one. And you're like, oh, actually, no, he's not. You know what I mean? Like he just, it's almost like his reaction to everything. It's not a positive reaction. So you're like, oh man, he's not, yo, uh, he's struggling out there. When it's just like, no man, he's just expecting everything to go in, which is the mindset you have to have to be one or, you know, or two in the world. But I would say that he is, the top dog right now. I, th I think he's a good example too. I, I feel like we've say this kind of every time he wins, but he's not the, you know, Rory. Oh my gosh. Let me just watch him hit T balls guy. He's not the speed. Oh my God. He just, he made another 30 footer. This is crazy guy. He's more like Dustin Johnson, right? Where it's just like, no man, his, his floor is just crazy high on everything. And he just plays good every week. And Amex is a good example of a, a tournament that, by, <laughs> I wasn't meaning to do this, but by his own admission, a bit of a putting contest, right? As Piece I believe he's shit putting contest. Yeah. I believe as I I believe he said in the past, he was like 60th in strokes game putting this week. It's not like he it's not like he filled it up. Throw and, it out and I guess week. I guess the stats. Yeah, yeah that's true. I guess the stats are weird, uh, and the reason because they're they're only shot like on one course. Uh, but point being, like even today was a good example. Like he wasn't he wasn't filling it up. He just kind of like plods along. He just doesn't make mistakes, man. He's and I know that's not the sexiest, like most interesting thing in the world to watch until Neil, what you just said about his golf swing is something I will watch every time he's every time he's in contention now. It's like in, until you like unlock one of those little keys or one of those little appreciation things about him is where like once you do that is when I think you start to realize like, oh my God, this is like the dude. It's kind of how I felt like with with JT in Hawaii a little bit, right? Which is like, yeah, we look at his numbers and we look at his strokes gain and we look at how many tournaments he's won and how old he is and all that stuff. But like that does not add up to actually being able to see it in person and seeing like, oh, my God, you can hit that shot. I'm never going to forget that. Holy cow. You know, and, and it's just really hard to like dig for those little pearls about Rom, I think. Bear with me on this one for just a little bit, if you will, because Rom is kind of the the example I use when I, I try to say, this is going to be very Trent Delphery, you can't lose games and expect to win games in the <laughs> yeah, NFL. I love that. But you can't like get better at golf, and I mean shoot lower scores at golf, without being way better at golf. And I mean that in terms of, you can fluctuate with putting and short game. And like you can have a, there's two ways of shooting, if, if you take our games, Two ways of shooting 74. You know, you can hit seven greens and scramble your ass off, or you can hit 14 greens and two putt everywhere, right? But there's no way to actually get better unless you are hitting the golf ball way better, like way, 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 way better. Like a true talent of a player comes down to how close they're getting the ball to the hole in regulation. And Rom is 
the model for that right now of how to do that the most efficiently. You don't think of Ram. If I was to ask you guys to name the best drivers in the world, Ram wouldn't be one of the first names you'd come up with. He should be, but his combination of like, he's way above average distance and he's above average accuracy. Like it's a deadly, deadly combination. And then there's just not that much that can go wrong with the iron swing. So we're talking about a floor of a guy that it almost can't go horribly, right? Like he's going to have rounds where he's going to, you know, miss putts and he's going to have a couple, he's going to get hot and he's going to, you know, I'm saying get hot under his skin and, and make some, make some mistakes. But he is like the epitome of the most well-rounded golfer on the planet. I don't mean just mean hottest. Like I just think he is the most all-around skilled player in golf, and I, I he's ready to pin his ears back and go. Well, I, so I agree with you. I didn't think he was the best driver until I started looking at the stats. I think it was the you know Mexican Open last year, and it was like, oh my god, like you know the numbers prove it out. But he's kind of a boring driver. He's like the, uh, to me, the prototype for the modern golfer. Cut off the left side of the golf course, hit this heavy power fade that he could probably get 10 to 15 more yards out of if he turned over or changed. But it's like, it's just on repeat, like this soft fade. I mean, there's nothing soft about the swing, but it's just like the left side doesn't exist and we're just hitting this little fade out into the fairway and it's so controlled and he's not it, it's just really really the more you think about it the more you dig the more impressive it becomes but like first impression is not exactly what you said like it's not the sexiest driver like that would be you know rory hitting these like mega high drivers the way he's like creating torque jt same thing the way those guys create speed like rom's almost putting a governor on himself which is amazing which, if I can, really quick, he is number one in strokes gained off the tee over the last six months, over the last 12 months, and over the last two years. He is number one. He's the best in the world. And number and number 21 in approach. So he's number one in strokes gained tee to green over the last he's two years. He's like, a fucking Big ass, you can't big ass sample man. size. 44 <laughs> events on that. Neil, I, I know uh, I'm throwing red meat to the lions here. You got to have a car comp for, for John Rob. I got you. The Crown Vic. He's a police interceptor. <laughs> Okay, he's got the brush guard on the front. He's got the spotlight. Like, the, you know, the, the shit is kind of, it's kind of a hoss, right? Like, it's not the sexiest looking machine, but like when that thing gets going. You're not going to have a poster of it up, up in your room when you're a kid. But it, you, when that thing, when those lights start blaring, you're like, you, you better scoot over. All right. Cause he's coming. Like, he's, he's an interceptor. He's durable, right? Like, he's best all around. Like, that's what a police interceptor is on the road. It's the best all around, right? Like, it's going to track you down at some point. Built Ford tough, baby. Yeah. If you didn't get a chance to watch the golf uh, this past week, I'm going to give you a quick play-by-play -play of how Sunday played out. So, Rom, before TV coverage even comes on, just sneak that part in there, uh, Rom birdies the first two holes, hitting them both within three feet on the first two holes. Um, and then we go to the back nine. He missed a short par putt on 13 to fall back into a tie for the lead with Davis Thompson, who we're going to have some, some chatter about here. And then on 14, Thompson's looking at a nine-footer to take the lead while Rom's got an eight-foot par putt. Thompson misses the nine footer while Rom makes a clutch par save from eight feet. Uh, we flip over to 15. Rom hits it as a brutal lip out for birdie on 15, supporting my theory that nobody lips out uh, more than John Rombos. He actually mentioned that in the post round, uh, if you will. And then we get up to 16 par five, 600 yards with the bunker that you know, is 18 feet uh, deep down the left side. Thompson hooks one into the fairway bunker, has to chop it out. And then Rom sends one with an iron from 280 plus yards uh, pulls it a little bit, gets lucky that it doesn't go down into the death bunker, um, hits a pretty poor chip, but drains the birdie putt, lips it in. Uh, I got a, a never tweet that actually worked positively for somebody in terms of uh, me saying that uh, Rom lips out every time. 
goes in, goes to take a one-shot lead. Um, Davis Thompson hits the green on 17, and we're going to pause here as we he has a putt from way downtown on 17 from the back of the green. Big left to righter. We saw a couple putts from the groups in front. Tom Kim, namely on that same line. So you see that putt start out to the left. You know it breaks right. Goes into the center of the hole. His putt for sure starts breaking, 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 going towards the hole from 48 feet and clangs off the stick that he left in the hole and popped out uh, a foot and a half away. Thoughts? I think you take the stick out. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, you know. At least I I don't I think with the way the pros they have caddies like I don't know why they don't tend I mean the only guy I see really leaving the stick in on those fifteen twenty footers is Fitzpatrick but it seems like most of these guys have you know once they said you can leave the flag in some guys experimented with it and now it's like ah eh, everybody's taking the flag out again am, am I off base with that No I think that's right Well Brooke, Brooke Henderson famously uh, leave leave the pin in. Uh, victory today but adam scott as well i believe goes through ups and he goes back and forth with it i think but um it's it's hard because it it literally there was somebody tweeted this at us golf digest headline flag stick out the science behind why the flagship should be pulled 99 percent of the time golf.com the science proves you should leave the flag stick in when you putt like i i don't need both sides of the science aisle telling me what's the right answer here all i know is bryson leaves it in and that guy pretends to know science and doesn't. So the the, the actual <laughs> science probably says to pull the pin. That would be my. That's my best guess. Sounds like you got to do your own research, Sally. <laughs> the. I mean, I think the big thing behind leaving it in is, I know in that situation, obviously he's trying to he's trying to make that putt, but he also wants to give it a run and doesn't want to have a six footer coming back, right? And and True. I think that, like theoretically, is the thought behind leaving it in, right? Is if this thing's coming in really really hot, I. I hopefully uh, take some speed off of it and slow it down. That thing was coming in pretty hot. It was. I'm not saying it, w- it wouldn't have dropped. I think if no flag stick was there, it, it would have dropped. But uh, it's one of those that, you know, if it's if it's two inches the other way, three inches the other way, you know, either way, it's 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 coming in there pretty pretty spicy. And now all of a sudden you've got a four or five footer coming back when, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm not going to try to draw some big sweeping conclusion from it. I think it's just a super, super unlucky break. I, I think Sucks we should start him. tracking for this year, maybe a new segment. There's the rubber, the green power rankings. Like mm, you throw that like one that. up at the top for me, right? Just that's something that's funny to look one. back on. Yeah. You remember when like Riley Davis, Michael Thompson made, you know, clanked <laughs> it off the stick. Uh, I like that. That has that uh, has the title belt, the rubber the green title belt. Yeah, rubber the green title belt. I like that. That that was. I mean, that's just truly the rubber the green. Like, I don't think he did anything wrong. I can see why he left the stick in, but I'm saying like, I, I bet. I wonder next time he has a putt like that, does he have his caddy tend it, or or does he, you know, like does he change anything if he could? I don't know. Just a total unsubstantiated theory here. I feel like if that ball hit the pin more squarely, it would have gone in, and if it hit it less squarely it would have gone in like it hit. There's a certain way of like hitting like kind of a side angle of the pin when it's moving fast, where it jams between the pin and the lip and like pops out. I I feel like you're almost more likely for this to happen when there's a little bit of wind and the pin is leaning towards one side and just hard to fit the ball in there. Um, Again, this is extremely unscientific, but I felt like on that one, if the pin was out, it would have hit the back left of the hole. And I don't see that 
not going in, right? I don't think that I might have done a little pop up and go right in, but it wasn't like it was flying so hard to have not gone in. And yet it was that perfect speed where it could jam between the pin and it just kind of went aerial. That was the thing I saw in the replay. It was like, oh man, that thing was not like on its way down. Like it was still moving smoothly, but uh, gosh, it's just. They put file it away for like golf is really how hard it is to win on the PGA tour. Davis Thompson made five Eagles, 20 birdies, uh, has a ball glance off the flag on the 71st hole and loses to the hottest player in the world. And that's that's so that's kind of what not not good enough. Before you finish the recap, that's what I would say. The context of this rubber, the green is hard to overstate. It's like coming right off the corn Ferry tour, having the week of your life, a chance to take down the hottest player in the world almost runs into just a miracle, you know, unbelievable putt and just, it's just not meant to be right. Like that's, I don't know. Uh, that's brutal, but also got to take a ton of confidence away from this week for, uh, for Davis Thompson. There's something kind of cool about the Amex and uh, mostly thinking about the Adam long year, but uh, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of the, I, I was found myself like it, it's the perfect example of a tournament that, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like, oh no, no, I'm I won't be participating. Like I don't I don't need to watch that. You you could put it on TV or not. I don't really care. But you get down to those last like five, six holes at that golf course, it's really, really fun. And it's fun when they when you get that David versus Goliath. Uh, I believe Davis versus Goliath, as PJTour.com <laughs> called it, which is a good headline. But you get Adam Long versus Phil, you get Davis Thompson versus Rom. Like those are really fun matchups. And I think it's probably the exception to the rule. Typically, it's, you know, Hudson Swafford, uh, like it was last year, just out there kind of with a bunch of fairly anonymous guys. But it was, uh, I had a really fun time today. I was I was glad to be watching it. You guys you guys want to talk Davis Thompson at all? I do, but I, I want to add one thing to that, Deej. I think it's also fun because it's such a, like, it looks like a, like, blown up uh, miniature golf course when you start coming down the stretch <laughs> with, like, the deep-ass bunker on 16 and, like, the... All the fake rocks. Well, even all the dormant, like all the dormant stuff, even just like stuff. it looks like you literally got yes. the, the astroturf. And you got like the these, middle. like yeah. every hole has water on it, and every hole has these, like they, they, oh, these natural rocks. It's like, no, all these were just placed. Like it's all, it's like, it looks like Fantasia out there. And uh, it's kind of a party atmosphere. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great energy, especially watching from New York City. You're like, God, the weather looks great, man. Like everybody seems to be getting <laughs> a little buzzed out there in Palm Springs. Isn't it funny? I, I could hear it in your voice. I could hear it in my own voice. How how different our opinions of the uh, the PJ Tour, the West Coast swig are now that we've both moved back to cold weather. For sure, a hundred percent. Man, I I love this tournament, man. I, I mean, just no, sit just in my chair like, and just yeah, watch this like, thing. Hey, good for them. It's more of a good for them. Hey, it looks like they're having a great totally. time out there. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you guys this. I was thinking about it today. Can, can I say one final thing? What, what were you referring to there about? I've gone through ups and downs of my enjoyment of watching PGA Tour golf, and I maybe loved it the most when I lived abroad, and I would travel, and I would come home and get home at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, and that'd be like the first time I'd watch golf would be like 10, 12 holes remaining. Like the end of PGA Tour golf, any golf event, European Tour team, the ends are really good. And when I started investing way more time into watching golf and watching more Thursday through Sunday, I started to hate it. And like, then you like, you get to Sunday night and like, oh shit, that was a really good finish. They saved the tournament in there. It's like, actually, you know what the, probably the only part that's actually worth watching. Some Saturdays are really worth it. But for the most part, especially this time of year, if you watch just the back nine on Sunday, you're fine. Like you're totally fine. You did not miss anything else. This tournament epitomizes that because it's super hard to keep track of the first three days, who's on what course and who has what to go. And the coverage is scattershot and all that stuff. It's just a, 
archaic model for a tournament that I'd be curious to, to pick your guys' brains on here in a second. But what were you going to say? If I put you guys, if if I body swap you with Davis Thompson, standing on the let's call it the seventeenth tee, over under one and a half golf balls lost on those last two holes. Seventeenth tee. Um, it was like a one fifty. 151 shot. It's like one six, one it's like closer to 160. Okay, well they but it, it was playing 7 down today cuz I they, the announcer said it twice. So, we'll call it 155. That is a bigger that's not 17 at Sawgrass, right? Like that green to me looks pretty appealing to to hit into. I think I'm hitting that green. I'm worried about the tee shot on 18. Now maybe I'm blowing it oh, yeah. blowing it that's, way 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 saying. right off that tee. <laughs> oh gosh. There's yeah, a lot of OB trouble right for me on 18. In the water. <laughs> I think I'm missing I'm losing a ball that's on 18. Fine. That's still a lost ball. I say one ball. I'm I'm under one and a half. Okay. I'm 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 lo- I'm losing zero balls I think because I think I can hit with a 9 iron hit the middle of that green. Uh, less than 10% of tee shots went in the water on that hole this week. There's no wind, there's no conditions. Well, those are those are PJ Tour players. I know, so. but I'm, I'm I I think I would if I think I would hit that green, but I don't think I would if you gave me 10 tries to par number 18, I don't think I would once. I don't think no. I, I was there's no <laughs> that whole I cannot take on risk. Yeah. Very yeah. uneasy. Well, and that's what that's what I was thinking when you were talking about Rom and how he just trusts that like bleeder cut so much. Like, did you see where he was aiming on eighteen? Yeah, doesn't care. <laughs> it's like middle of the pond. I was just like, God, dude, golf tournament on the line. Just like, oh no, just kind and of. And then they showed the right a slow mo like, of his bunker shot, and it, again, it he gets so to good. his left foot even on yeah. a shot like that. It's just he's his swing is so natural to him. It's awesome, but it's but you got to yeah. look for it. I think that's when it gets. I'm starting to appreciate him more and more every year. So I, I good, you know. All, all credit to uh, to the butcher. He's balling out, man. And I think last thing on him uh, for the the ROM appreciation stuff, at least until he wins, you know, next week at Farmers, and we got to do all this over again. I love that he he strikes me as I'm sure there's a list you could put together if I gave it some thought, but one of the few players that wins on doesn't matter what golf course he's showing up to. Nope. Right, and that, I think that speaks to a lot of what we're saying about his floor is just, I mean, he just drives it well and hits it well and puts it well, and that, that tends to work everywhere. But it's like he wins, he's won Palm Springs twice. He won that weird-ass tournament in Mexico. He also wins the super hard tournament at Olympia Fields. He also wins at Torrey Pines. He should have won at Memorial. You know what I mean? Like Should have won at Memorial. He did like, win he, at Memorial. He, oh, I guess, yeah, that's he right. He did, and it should have won again, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, there we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he he just truly like doesn't doesn't matter, which is when you know you look at someone. And I'm I've, I'm not trying to be woefully unfair and compare Davis Thompson to John Rom, but Davis Thompson, very good player coming off the Corn Ferry Tour. But like you dig into his his last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, and it's kind of like feast or famine, right? A lot of miscuts and a lot of like really good finishes, which tells me either it's like a golf swing consistency thing, or it's like a you know he doesn't putt it well, and so when he can just smash it off the tee tends to go, you know, tends to go better. So it's just, I think that's increasingly rare in the world of pro golf and another reason to shout out John Rom. But which, yeah. and, and we can, it's, it's easier to just kind of track. And that's why I, did, I posted something just said, how many wins Rom has, this is his eighth win on the PGA tour in 132 starts and how that compares to, it's very much slightly behind pace with the speeds and, uh, and Rory's and whatnot, but still it's incredible. But this is not to say that we're forgetting about the fact that he's won a ton of times over on the DP World Tour. Like John Rahm is 28 years old and he's won 18 times in his career, which is 
just insane. He's won the Irish Open at two different courses. He's won the DP World Tour Championship multiple times. He's won many events in Spain throughout the year. He's won, yeah, he's won the Spanish Open three times, uh, I believe. And it's it's one of the world's. Yeah, I don't think we, I don't think we need to re- relitigate this. We'll be here a while if we keep listing off uh, his accomplishments to this point. So. We got a lot to get to. We got to go down the leaderboard a little bit in honor of TC. I want to give a shout out, though, to our friends at Roback. If you can see me now and only you two can see me right now, you know I got my new gray Roback hoodie on. The quality, it's incredible. We love their gear. You'll see it in a lot of our videos. You'll see it in a lot of our content. And we talk about it a lot on this podcast because it is our favorite. Their performance polos are awesome. They fit way better than typical boxy polos. The collar never loses its shape. Four-way stretch material is soft and comfortable. They are perfect for the golf course, perfect to wear out casually. I'll say the same exact thing about the performance Q-zips. They are pretty much the only quarter zips that we wear these days. They're the definition of versatile. You can wear them in the morning, wear them in the evening on the golf course, wear them around the house. They're very comfortable. You'll see us outing on a golf course in a rowback quarter zip in 2023. And lastly, the hoodies, the most comfortable hoodies we've ever worn, softest, stretchiest. They're super good quality. Uh, I, I wear these on an almost daily basis. So you can use code NLU at rowback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's rowback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, tees, joggers, shorts, you name it. Code NLU. Kick off your 2023 right with Roback. Can't keep them in stock in the pro shop. Can't keep them in stock. Too good. You know? Too good. Got, Too good. Got, you know, not till the spring. Coming back in the spring. Um, Anything more on Davis Thompson? Yes, I have a few thoughts. Uh First off, I mean, University of Georgia just has a knack for pumping out, like, really, really solid, just solid is the word, solid PGA Tour professionals. And here's another one, fresh off the Corn Ferry Tour from Auburn, Alabama. I I was digging into his PGA Tour profile. Apparently, he loves double-stuffed Oreos, Air Jordans, one helped his team, high school team, win the uh, state basketball championship. He's 6'4". I read that as well, Neil. I would love, maybe this is a deep dive podcast, would love uh, a list of tour players who are state champions in other sports. I think that'd be an interesting list. And, and perhaps, you know, we could, we could spearhead that we, we could We could effort that for sure. But I didn't know anything about Davis Thompson, so that's why I was looking it up. Uh, he What struck me, first impression, watching a little bit of coverage Friday and Saturday, was easy power off the tee. And that you know what? What's always hard for me watching a telecast is figuring out who's actually tall and who's not like some guys like trick you, you know, like I, I think I never realized Rom is a unit and like, not just like in a girth way, like Rom's like six, three, he's a big dude, but like, it doesn't really come across on TV. Rory, not a big dude, but doesn't look small on TV. And so Davis Thompson, I'm like, Oh man, he's six, four. And so then that makes the easy power thing a little bit. Uh, Cause they, they had some numbers going and he was like hitting 181. It looked like he was, literally just chilling off the tee. So it seems like he's got some uh, some horsepower off the tee. And then just the ability to get hot and make, what, five eagles in the first two days and just go on a, like, go into blackout mode and then keep it together through the, truly the very end of the tournament. I mean, other than the rubber, the green stuff on 17, he he's in a playoff. Um, so really impressed. I thought it was, you know, he's probably here to stay. Deej, do you want to talk uh, our OGR conversation that we had offline? I think this 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 plays in well with Davis Thompson and and the joke we made at the top of the show of Rom winning four out of the last last six times and somehow not ascending to number one in the world, which 
it is a little more complicated than than it's not it's not a power it's not a power ranking it's not an eye test thing it's a mathematical formula but uh, this week's event the American Express Championship gets fifty two points for the winner and the winner of the Century Tournament of Champions which also was John Rom uh, got thirty seven points to win that tournament does that make sense to you so you can certainly have an opinion that that doesn't make sense I I understand the people who say that who say big events should be worth more. Yada, yada, yada. Like, that's that's fine. I get it. The reason I wanted to dig in, this is like a very good example of a tournament that really illustrates the changes that were like pretty quietly made to the OWGR late last year. I think they kicked in at the FedEx, right? The the uh, first playoff event. And essentially, the headline of this is just like, if you don't have a deep field, you're going to have less points. And so it, it opens up a whole can of worms on... Kyle Porter you know, said it best. Would you rather fight one? Uh, du- it's a <laughs> yeah. what was it? Duck-sized horse or a hundred? Blah blah blah. Like I forget. No, yeah. One horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized yeah. horses. Yes, that's the that's the question. That's the century, and that's the Amex. And so I know it's hard to just like rattle off numbers to to uh, you know nobody's like taking notes, writing these down. But to your point, the the winner got thirty-seven. John Rom got thirty-seven points for winning the century this year. The winner last year, Cam Smith, got sixty-two. Like that's how out of whack kind of that system was. Whereas a lot of these tournaments have kind of stayed pretty close to the same, right? Where the winner today, John Rom got fifty-two last year. I think Hudson Swafford got something something like fifty. And so what we were talking about, Solly, was like this this weird uh, conundrum of like, yes, I know that a limited field event is harder to it's harder to win it sh- it seems like right because you're playing against so many more big names and it's big names only and it's good golf course and it's all that stuff but when you really see the leaderboard and what I tweeted out and what I put into slack with you guys was like here here's the top 60 players on the leaderboard let's highlight just the guys that played in the century last week look how many other guys are in this field that are beating those guys and it, it's just so easy to re- like to forget how good the average PJ Tour player is and and how hard it is to beat that guy on a weekly basis and how freaking many of them there are. And that's kind of where I, I think it almost it's it gets kind of hard to explain, but it's like the the issue almost in a way is like there's just too many good guys. Like there's too many good players. And I don't know how the tour can really draw that line where they are trying to highlight these the best players in the world through limited field designated events like cuz if you think about it from the tour's perspective what would make the most sense to them 30 man fields where they pick 30 superstars and a superstar wins every week and fans become a much bigger fan of John Rom or Scotty Scheffler or Sam Burns or Cameron Young or any of these guys but like how do you, how you get to those 30 guys without really upending the entire OWGR is a question that I do not have an answer to because I think when you spell it all out on paper like this and you see why the Amex gets more points in the century, I'm like, yeah, that that makes total sense to me, man. I know you might not think that Alex Smalley is a world beater, but he beat Cantlay or he beat Sahith or he beat, you know, a lot of these guys this week. He beat Zalatoris. I don't know if that if it ended up that way, but when I pulled my screenshot, that's how it looked. And there's just a lot of Alex Smalley's out there that you got to account for. And there's a lot of Davis Thompson's and there's a lot of guys who could pop there's up a lot on of Riley any given Davis. week. And a can lot I, of Riley Davises, a lot of Davis Rileys. Can I throw a, a Riley Thompson's you? out there? Just to put this in Please. perspective, like, so Davis Thompson is just barely slightly going into this week below average PGA Tour player. He is negative 
0.1 strokes gained, which 0.0 would be average in terms of, you know, your field strength added. Just between a half stroke above average and a half stroke below average. In this field alone, there were 87 guys, okay? So if you take, let's just call them all equal for, for you know, it's a shot difference between the guy at the top of that list and the bottom of those 87 guys. Like, you're basically throwing 87 Davis Thompsons out there and one of them is going to get hot. Maybe two of them, maybe four of them, maybe seven of them are going to get hot. And like adding one more Victor Hovland to that, in my opinion, does not offset 87 of those guys that you got to go out and beat, right? It's, you know, it may not offset 10 of those guys. It's just a mathematical thing of like, you know, what Vegas would tell you if it was like Hovland versus, I'm going to, I'm not using Rom on purpose because he's kind of can beat anyone right now, but Hovland versus eight, these 87 give me the 87 legitimately every single time. And that's just the math kind of working its way out to say like winning these, th this is a harder w tournament to win than the century. I, I, I really honestly do believe that data golf probably would tell that same story. I'm guessing, but it's, it, and it's not that far off, but man, just to go stand on a range and see that many dudes that are focusing their asses off on playing the best possible professional golf and know you got to beat all of them is incredible. What I would add to that is I think, because we talked about this with the RSM and the DP World Tour Championship. Same conversation. Yes. And on paper, it passes the eye test to me, or eye test, or like first impression test of, oh, well, yeah, the century should get more world ranking points. Like that's like a reward. But I almost think there's a good hedge here where just because the purse size is 20 million, which is attracting and you're and you're basically like rewarding the top players, doesn't mean that has to like associate or line up with the world ranking points. I almost think it evens it out a little bit or it's a good compromise with the rank and file PGA tour player of like, yeah, okay, listen, these guys have earned the right to play in these designated elevated, whatever we're going to call them, these big 20 events every year, but they're not going to get like a outsized amount of world ranking points. So this gives you a better chance to go ball out in the Amex so that you can get into that tournament so that you can win more money. And I think people are having a hard time separating out the purse and the status and the like the the elevation of these these like limited field events with like what is actually harder to win um and and that's the reward is it's not as hard to win the you know the elevated event not the elevated events but like the century which is a limited field so if i can just to make a point to this though and there is a balance right rom rom and i talked about this on the pod last week of you know he thinks it's more important to beat the best players in the world which like i I, I agree with in a way, and I, I just I don't know if this is right to say this, but if you take the top 19 players in the field, so I gave you that example of half stroke to negative half a stroke, 87 guys in that field. Between them, they added 118 performance points to the field. Like that's what gets added to the field. Those 87 guys contributed that, and that's the same amount that the top 19 guys add to the field. Okay, so that's Rom, Cantlay, Scheffler, Xander, Finau, Zalatoris, Sungjae, Sam Burns. Cameron Young, Aaron Wise, Brian Harmon, Tom Kim, Ta Tom Hoagie, Taylor Montgomery, Keith Mitchell, Denny McCarthy, KH Lee, Justin Rose, and Jason Day. Those that 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 group added the same amount as those 87 guys, which as I'm saying that seems a little off. Like I feel like those top guys should probably be adding a little more to the field than 87 of the top guys. It's kind of counter to what I was saying earlier, but that's how the math shakes out. And I and maybe, you know, that's one to five, you know one top player for every five average players that you're adding. 
math probably does check out there, but to your point, Neil, the eye test, like, yeah, it's going to feel off. And I agree really with does. Rom. Like, yeah. I feel like I have, I would say the same thing if I was him because what gets his juices going is beating Rory, is beating the top players. Like, that's, I bet if you asked him, winning the century was probably more of a thrill than winning the Amex, right? But technically, the math is saying otherwise, and I guess what we're asking the OWGR to do is come up with the most, like, statistically accurate way to rank the best golfers in the world. And I kind of like the idea, like I'm coming around because I think if we go back and check the tape, the RSM versus the DP World Tour conversation, I was kind of like, man, that's bullshit. Like you should get more points for winning the championship event. But I'm started. To, I've really thought about it the last, you know, two, three months or even before this pod. And it's like, yeah, well, maybe that's not like that's just not the fact of the matter. Right. And and we've asked them to be have an unbiased system for like ranking the best golfers and it is harder to beat a massive field than it is to beat a limited field. That's kind of what it boils down to. Even if it, that doesn't feel as like, like there's yeah. not as much adrenaline for a guy like Rom. I can see why he says that. And I think what's interesting about this conversation is one, I, I think it's kind of at odds with like the fan product. Yeah. Right. Which I think is yeah. a very interesting conversation. Right. Because like what, I, like I was saying, like if I'm the PJ tour, I just, I want the best player to win every week. And the best way to make that possible is to kind of have only the best players in a field. Right. But I, I also, I think it's, it's really interesting going forward just to think through uh, like the, the way to say it is this, I think the OWGR is not necessarily to rank all the PJ tour players, like who's better than the other one. I think it's, it's kind of there to rank them compared to European tour players and Japan players and, you know, Korean players and South African players. And I think that's almost more the, more the goal of it to the point where I'm almost getting to I'm I'm almost getting to a point where it's like man outside of the data golf strokes gained you know kind of like modified strokes gained that they use to to roll in live guys euro tour guys corn ferry tour guys pj tour guys like data golf does the best job of of that in my opinion outside of that man I'm I'm almost getting to the point where like maybe it just makes sense to go buy money on the pj tour or maybe it just makes sense to go buy FedEx Cup points or something like that, because otherwise you're going to keep having these two things that are at odds with each other, where you're going to have what's best for the fan product and what's best for Alex Smalley or what's best for you know all of these people. I think it all rolls up into the same issue, which is, man, it, it, you're trying to keep 200, 300 people all very, very happy just on the playing side let alone caddies, let alone agents, let alone fans, let alone sponsors. Let, like It's just so fucking complicated that at some point they're going to have to just draw a line in the sand and be like, all right, listen, I know that we tried for a very, very long time to do the most mathematically responsible, balanced, equitable thing. We're just not doing that anymore. And we just, like, in order to protect our product, we're going to do this, is what I think will end up happening. But I, I could that be That opens up a, a can of worms to me, though, like... I don't, you know, because then it's like, if it's just money based, I, I'm not saying I want yeah. that to happen, but I get like, what I, you're saying. I, the I, marketing message yeah. from the tour when they designating or elevating events is at odds with the world golf ranking, giving more yeah. points to the Amex. Like that's truly two like mountain goats bucking right there. Like that's the, those are opposites. Okay. I get that. But I'm, I'm kind of like in my head, I'm like, all right, well, let's just separate them out. Like the reward is you get to play in these elevated events because you've balled out for the last year or two. It keeps the system I, open. Yeah, it and it keeps it, it open. open. So, I think that actually yeah. refreshes things. And, and I, I'm starting to come around to the idea that that might be a pretty good system. So it's hard to I, understand, though. And it's like the, my first impression of that system was like, this is out of whack. This is not right. 
but maybe that's not the case. Now, DJ, I want to I want to pull a can I please can I throw one thing in here that it it really doesn't matter that much. Like it just doesn't to golf fans. <laughs> that's, it, it doesn't. That's what I'm getting to. It's that's fun, what I'm getting at. It's fun to debate. You know who's in the top five and who takes world number one. To the players, it matters a lot because of uh, incentives built into their contracts and the top fifty cutoff matters a ton for the Masters and that matters. But like what this the changes have done is make it more fair in that 50-ish range, right? And we'll get to Victor Perez here in a second. Like, he would be knocking down the door. He would be through the door into the top 50 based off of his win probably in Abu Dhabi under the old system, right? And he's being held back by it, by the current system, right? And it's it's just, he's not bursting through the door in the same way that it would have. And so, again, if you are one of the golf fans that cares that much about the, you know, the 60th versus 70th ranked player in the world, by, be, uh, by my, be, be my guest. Be as so mad as you want about the OWGR. So that should to your ears, Sally. They've, they've fixed the manipulation. You should be... It's what I've been screaming about for four years. Fly, People just started ladder, listening baby. this year. People started caring about it this year. I've been trying to say. But the last thing I'll say in defense of the OWGR is like, it is a really interesting balance between strokes gained, which I view as the best metric of how good of a player you are, which is that determines how many points you get in the events. And then also your finish in an event being the distribution of those points. It's a very circular system of like, you know, the, the old way you could get an overinflated OWGR ranking. And that was also what was used to determine the field strength in the next event, right? You know, your data golf ranking may have said 80th, but the OWGR had you 20th. I'll use an extreme example. Your 20th ranking counted towards the field in the next event. It was this vicious cycle that just kept repeating itself over and over. Now it's like, Oh, OWGR says you're 20, but your strokes gain says you're 80th. We are taking, we are counting you towards your 80th into this field. And it's just, it's going to be, it's pretty damn fair. It's going to take some time for like the year cycles to keep running out. And as time goes on, it's going to be very kind to John Rahm as the, the point system from the, uh, the events from the old point system start to roll away. It's just the immediate returns are not there. That's my, my opinion. Can I, the only thing I want to add to that real quick is because when you start throwing around fair and OWGR in the same sentence, uh, you know whose music that is. Uh, the, the, the live boys are going to come in hard and say this is not a very fair system. And the reason I think to spell all of this out is, is again, I don't have these numbers specifically. I know people who know how the formula works could spin them up very easily. But if the century is getting that few points for having, what was it, 17 of the top 20 players in the world, what do you, like, let's wave our magic wand and say that Liv fulfills all the other OWGR quali- you know, qualifications, which they're woefully short on now. Let's say all those go away and they start getting points. Like, what do you think their field points are going to look like? They have nobody in the top 50 other than, you know, Cam and Dustin Johnson, who are, are still kind of falling quickly you know, as they stop playing OWGR events. Neiman so they have well. no big, yep. they have, and Neiman, right. They have no big names yanking up the, uh, you know, the score and they have a limited field. So like that, the, even if they got points as it is, it would be like almost nothing. So it's rigged. And Davis point. Thompson is the perfect example of why they're not going to get points, right? Because there's right. no open, like Davis Thompson qualified for the PJ tour through the corn Ferry system. That was the feeder system. Like that's the whole point of having that system. And Chase Kepka and James Pyatt play in live events. They did not qualify for that. That's why you're so, not getting points. But Deej, I want to not maybe not a counterpoint, but I want to sum up your, you know, I guess red flag with this, which is I'm going to pull something from from our Nest member message board, the Refuge, from a uh, uh, Bunk, uh, user Bunk. He said, I'd like to give him a shout out. He said, um, 
Cameron Davis, Davis Riley, Davis Thompson, Michael Thompson. These people are indistinguishable in my mind. And I think that's the little bit to like the point that you're making of like, yes, those are the uh, 100 horse sized or duck sized horses that are like, I don't know, can't, I would have trouble picking them out in a lineup and I watch golf every week. And that's tough for the fan product a little bit. Whereas like, Liv's arguing like, hey, look at these big names we got over here. They should be getting tons of points because they're going head to head. Which I think from a fan, like who would you rather watch perspective? I agree with with Liv in that regard. And that's why we're deep in on the PGL concept. And that's why I think like restructuring the PJ tour, I'm I'm in on that. Like let me let me hear more. I would read your pamphlet about that because whoa, I whoa, whoa. totally We're getting paid by the PJ tour. You can't say that. Come on. <laughs> Well, that's true. Well, our contract runs up at the end of the year. So, you know, we can, we're in a contract. We're in a prove it year. Uh, that was a joke. The, I agree with, uh, I agree with user bunk on all of the Davis Thompson, Riley Davis, Riley Thompson, Michael Thompson. You know, I, I agree with that. And I was thinking about that today and why that is. And I think golf is not like basketball, right? Where all the, the most flashy, splashy, exciting basketball highlights you can just tell who's different yeah right like immediately in short bursts and you can tell like oh my god that guy's a better shooter than that guy that guy i can't believe he got that shot off i can't believe he got that pass off i can't believe he can jump that high like all of those things football is the same way i think baseball is maybe a little less so but you can you can still see it you know in the way guys play the field and the way guys hit and all that stuff Golf is, and John Rahm is probably the best example of this, it is just the totality of a season, right? And the margins are so much more imperceptible between Davis Thompson and between John Rahm, and that's why the qualification system matters, Solly, right? I mean, that's why you can't just pick one guy from the line and move him to the front of the line. Like, So I agree with all of that, but that's also why I'm saying that from a PJ Tour perspective – trying to constantly smash your head against the wall to come up with like a more and more and more and more and more perfect system for how we rank these guys and how we fill fields and how we do like doesn't fucking matter. I'm with you, Sally. And that like you can explain that and you can have the most perfect rollout and the most perfect landing page that explains all of the data. Like nobody gives a shit. And that's where I'm almost like eventually they're just going to have to rip the bandaid off and be like, well, these 30 guys are in the field because we fucking chose them. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. This is what fans want to watch. And, and that's going to make a lot a lot of Davis Thompsons and Riley Davises and Michael Thompsons. It, it might be a Lee, like, like Lee unhappy. six, Lee, Lee one, Lee two, Lee three on the LPGA. We have, <laughs> it should be. We, we might have to start calling them Davis one, Davis two, <laughs> Thompson, Davis Thompson three. Two. <laughs> <laughs> and if, our, if, if it feels like our tone on these things has changed over the last six years, it's because it's way easier to turn on the mics and be like, this this is stupid. Like, why are they doing it this way? This is so dumb. And it kind of just ends up working itself out. Like, the more you learn about these things, you're kind of like, oh, oh, so that's why they do that. Okay, well, that makes sense. Or, well, that's why this is it place. That's why this is it place. So there's a shitload of stuff that goes on in pro golf that I still don't agree with from a big picture standpoint. But, like, it it it's way easier to criticize the existing system than be like, okay, well, come up, come up with a good one. Come up with a complete... Total good one that evaluates 35 different tours 
different blood countries, different people running them and all that. So give me a flat system that's going to accurately evaluate all these players. Go right ahead. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to making fun of the original system. Right. You see what these guys fucking tweeted? <laughs> I, I, but I will yeah, raise my so. hand and say, like, I do like having a system. Like, I don't want it to become a, a like a glorified, you know, like what I don't like about live is that like they can just start picking whoever they want, which DJ, you and I are on record for saying like, you know, we're six months away from Jake Paul playing, right? Like, because so at least like there has to be some type of measurement here to evaluate this. Cause I, I want to identify, like the fact is golf is about consistency. Being the best golfer in the world is about how long can you sustain your hot streak basically. And I think the OW jar is an attempt to identify that. And so if they're telling me that beating 85 of these average, when I say average, I mean PGA Tour, like average player on the PGA Tour, beating 85 of those guys is harder than beating, you know, one or two other guys from the top 10. Like I got to, I have to kind of believe them on that, right? Like they're working the numbers out and I'm, I am not a math guy. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's what I was, uh, I feel like I've brought this up on the podcast before, but uh, talking to a buddy of mine a couple months ago, I remember his exact phrase was like, man, we're really going to we're, we're about due for a reckoning in sports in general of around the question of like, why do we even play sports? And that's kind of where I'm at with golf is just like today was a great example of like the qualification system worked to get Davis Thompson there. He got into the tournament. He held his own against John Rahm and like he came up just short. But that was like a really great example of sport and who was a better player on that given day. Right. And that's, I think, a lot of what we're talking about building this whole ecosystem is around, you know, identifying the best golfer. And if that's the goal, I think they're doing a really, really, really good job. But if the goal is TV product yeah. and money and yeah. TV money and sponsor exposure and all that stuff, all of a sudden, like, dude, that's a very different game. Yeah. That's a, I would do things very, very, very differently if, if that was for. the number one goal. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. where it's like, and that's what tomorrow golf's for. Right. Like, that's maybe that's the, the solution. But I do like, I mean, maybe that's the, maybe I'm becoming an old soul, but like, I like that there, we are trying to identify the best golfer still. And I think the problem and the reckoning is going to be that, you know, maybe that question is not like a $60 billion question. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe the market, maybe the market isn't there, like for the answer to that question to be worth like, you know, $200 million a year to some player. Yeah. Like maybe that's just not how the math works. Yeah. And that's where, again, we're just like, when you just get like an influx of, you know, kind of like irrational cash, it, yeah, it tends to like shake things up and people, you know, get a, a pretty outsized uh, opinion of their own value in, in this, in answering this question of who can get the ball in the hole in the fewest amount of strokes. Like it's just, a, it's, it's not, it's very weird, guys. All right, I'm cutting you guys off. Too much OWGR, man. I, you guys are talking too much OWGR. That's a, a change of pace. Down the leaderboard just a little bit. Xander, a very ho-hum uh, 2,500 T3 finish for for Xander. Uh, coming off the back injury at Century, that is good to see that that was a, uh, a, a temporary issue. Chris Kirk playing some freaking golf, another T3 finish uh, for him. He had a great look at a birdie on 18 uh, that would have put him within one. And, uh, yeah, got, that guy's playing some excellent golf. I feel like Chris, Chris Kirk is a like a souped-up version of that duck-sized horse. He's 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 a duck sized, but he's feisty, man. That's that's he's a dog sized yeah. horse. Yeah. He's uh he's a little bit bigger than the duck, exactly. Shout out to your uh, University of Georgia, just producing those those consummate pros. I mean, just right in the just 
the guys that just live in that 20 to 40 OWGR. Yeah. Just killers, man. Not what well, not killers. Not I guess not killers, more just like they're they're in the battle. They're in the fight. Yeah. Taylor Montgomery does it again. Solo fifth finish. Huzzle adjacent on 17 to dump one in the water. Uh to when he looked like he had a chance to win that golf tournament, but managed to manage to scrape together a bogey. Uh, and get a, just another enormous finish. He has not fit. He's finished outside the top 12. Uh, uh, he finished outside the top 15 one time in his last 13 starts going back to the end of the last corn Ferry finals. Like he is just a freaking force. And every week it's kind of like, okay, it's time for him to fall back a little bit and stop doing this. And it just does not happen. His name is going to come up later on today. Cause we have a fun little exercise we're going to do later on. So he, uh, he drives it awesome and he puts it awesome. You know where that works? everywhere PGA tour <laughs> the pga tour yeah uh i'm i'm so stoked for him man that's that's it's gonna be a big big year watching taylor montgomery i, I think you know we could see some some cameron young-esque uh stuff out of him notable names at t6 tom kim as well um does a you know throw some throw some hands behind the ears after birdie in 17 that guy's gonna streak naked through the 16th hole at waste management <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be incredible i'm so excited to see him in phoenix and after missing the cut last week too he could be taking the the kid title. Yeah, what it sounded like from JT and and Spieth. Yeah, that he might be the, he might be the anointed kid. The, the kid Pat Spieth being the kid passing the title down to, to 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 young Tom. I think the kid has to has to wear his emotions on his sleeve. That's that's like the biggest prereq, and uh, I don't know who who's doing that more than Tom Kim right now. Sorry, just a quick shout out to twenty five year the the German kid. Maddie Schmidt, I, I love the uh, you know big putt on on eighteen to top ten, get into next week. I I always love the uh, you know someone coming out of nowhere. Like we we talk a lot about you know going between tours and and playing weird schedules and all that kind of stuff. I think it's uh, it's hard when you have to show up and and you know try to top ten to get into next week. And I love when people do that. So that was fun. I have I have uh, two shout outs. One is JT Poston. I feel like he's showing up more and more and posting up one thing i really like about his game is he hit some bad shots today it felt like every time they showed him he was not doing great he his uh he's has a better the opposite of tom kim a really good ability to bury uh negative energy when he misses like it looks like every putt he hits is going to go in he might be the best putter out there and when he misses them he just kind of swallows like the you know, the F-bomb that he's probably saying to himself. And I saw that I when I was out at um, at the Century on uh, that Thursday. I followed him for a few holes, and it, he just has a really good demeanor. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on record. I think he's going to have a big year. And then two, maybe less of a shout-out, but is Scotty Scheffler, I mean, the forgotten man? Like, are we, we, cons are we concerned about Scheffler? He just seems to be... Yeah, you know, 22 I under guess this week. I'm, T, I'm terrified. T11, kind of, but he just... <laughs> very worried. Are we, you know, I don't know. Are, are we... He's the perfect example of that, like, anonymous world number one. Yeah. And this is the the uh, the luxury that people like Spieth and Rory don't ever have, where it's like, if they finish first, or they finish 70th, or they finish 13th, or they finish whatever, everybody's going to analyze it to pieces. If Scotty doesn't win, like, nobody really cares yep. where, he, where he finishes. Which is kind of why but I brought I, it up. I, I, I think that's interesting. I'll boldly go with Solly as, as T11, 22 under. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not worried. And I'll say this about Poston. JT Poston's kind of like, 
Steve Nash might be too too is a too lofty of a comp, but like JT Poston can play offense, man. When it when when the birdies are there, that guy can run downhill. Now the uphill stages, we're gonna cross, we're gonna weave this metaphor through a couple of different sports here. Uphill stages, he's not like top of the list of like who who you want on your team, I don't think. But man, when the, when there's birdies to be had, JT Poston is the guy. I, I'll give so. you a different comp, if basketball comp. I think he's more Jamal Crawford. He's not yes. in your starting lineup, but God, if you need 20 off the bench quick, like throw him in, man. <laughs> he can get you a bucket for sure. <laughs> J Neal 11 asked, was the genocide guy in the Amex this year? I do regret to inform <laughs> everyone that uh, Yapto Sor- Soriosa Marno uh, was regrettably not in the field. For those that don't know that story, he was uh, a genocidal maniac from Indonesia, I believe it was, that uh, played in this tournament for many years. Even as of 2020, I believe, was playing in this event before somebody caught on that he should not be playing in this event. So, so I'm reading between the lines a little bit on this Pro-Am this is a pro-am, so let's just state that. You wouldn't know it from watching the telecast, but it is a pro-am. I'm guessing this is the cash grab pro-am where people are paying to be in it. And so that it's almost like the tour is saying, like, well, listen, these guys want to play with the pros, but like you they're telling the telecast, we don't have to show it. But it feels like like what are we doing with this tournament? Which is a which is a change from years past. Because they they used to show a lot more of the AMs in in years it's, past. Like it's way been back a long day time since they have then since i've been really following golf they, they do not show amps it's not a celebrity pro-am is what it's not neil so it's it's uh, these things i i'd imagine turn in bringing a significant amount of money for people that that pay to play in these yeah. pro-ams i have no idea what a spot costs i would guess north of 50 grand right so for 156 play i mean granted probably every spot is not a you know a paid spot but there's 156 players times 50 grand that's eight million bucks uh right there that come in for the for the tournament and it is an interesting i kind of wanted to chat with you guys about like what the future of this tournament looks like or tournaments like this as we get ready to enter into a whole new phase of the pga tour which by many accounts that we've heard the schedule is going to get flipped on its head and the whole structure is going to get flipped on its head it seems to me this event screams like what what are these events going to look like in the future right is it i know it's going to be a non-designated event and it's going to just be a second tier event but we've heard all kinds of things about you know timelines of certain events might shift around a lot this one seems like a prime candidate to get either chopped or totally rearranged if that ends up being the i case. would that's where i disagree though i think if you compare this because of that revenue stream which is exactly what i was kind of getting at that might be a reason that this event is still like, oh, no, we, we, we're making money on this pro-am part of it, which like softens the blow a little bit or maybe subsidizes it. Compare that to a, like a rocket mortgage where you're basically just trying to convince one partner like, no, man, this is still really valuable. This is still equal to all these other designated events. You're still a PGA Tour stop, all this stuff. I think you're probably going to see more tournaments go with this pro-am model where it's like, no, let's get some rich people to pay to play with these pros for three days. And uh, that'll kind of help subsidize the fact that it's not a designated event. I think the only place I would disagree there is that I think all that pro-am revenue is basically what makes up the charitable giving of the tournament, right? Like what we're, I, I think what would be at stake would be the TV revenue of how do you, if you're the PJ Tour, how do you package, you know, now we're looking down the road here, but I'm sure there's some, language in there to be able to change stuff if things radically change with the pj tour schedule next year but like how do you just like the reason they they can charge 700 million dollars a year for their 
TV contract is because they have 45, you know, events of equal kind of value. And if all of a sudden you're saying like, oh, no, no, these guys are the Genesis and the Century and those events are are super, super, super popular. Like they're not going to be popular enough to, you know, bring in enough eyeballs to subsidize all the impressions or whatever that you'd be losing from these events basically becoming irrelevant right in a in a new contract. So how do you keep them relevant is is goes back to our OWGR question and how do you keep all these guys happy and how do you keep a thriving PJ tour that is both maximizing the top end and also making sure that that like fatty middle doesn't go away because that's why everything gets packaged for such a big amount. Yeah. And I, I'd say it goes to FedEx Cup, it goes to all the all the stuff that's built around like a season long race. Hey. And I'd actually say, Neil, that the the Pro-Am model is like one of the most antiquated things about PGA Tour. Like the, this and Pebble are have this tradition of back before golf was this big television product of this was like the local attraction and how you brought people into the tournament was you had, you know, Clint Eastwood out there playing, you know, at Cyprus and things like that before it just, it, it seems like three golf courses trying to get cameras on everything and trying to get all these players through the field and it works up against the NFL. Like I'm fine with this because nobody really cares this weekend. Uh, but if this was like a like a February tournament, it would be such an easy like screaming of like this has got to change. This one's got to change. It's time for eyeballs on this. So like a hyper local experience like a pro am makes sense when you're not like trying to get a ton of media impressions through television. And that's my I I, I have no real understanding of how those happen, but that would be my guess on on the the structure why. Why there's a couple events like this this time of year. I agree. That makes sense. One other thing about this tournament, it's, Amex is a little bit of a rogue sponsor to me too. Like I don't associate them with golf in a big way. Mastercard would be more the sponsor I would associate with, you know, in that in that realm with golf. So it, it just feels like it's very everything about it feels a little just out of place with the pro am piece and just I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I could be totally wrong on this, but I'm, I'm guessing this is, it's just one piece of Amex's, you know, I think this one's probably much, much, much more about on-site hospitality yeah, and getting exactly. people out of, getting, you know, super, super rich Amex customers out of cold weather places and out to Palm Springs for the week to do whatever, you know, I, I could see them making this worthwhile just by entertaining like the right people at an event like this. Moving across, uh, well across the globe, over to Abu Dhabi. Victor Perez uh, wins in Abu Dhabi at Yas Lynx uh, by in dramatic fashion. Went out, shot a front nine 32, went and birdie the 10th and 11th holes. Uh, three putted the 14th hole while there was a yacht party going on right across the sh- like uh, Go check the highlights on the DP World Tour uh, YouTube page because they have an excellent cut between him three, like missing a par putt and then over to a bunch of people just jamming on the yacht as, uh, as he finished it, uh, putted it for bogey. You could hear the music too. Uh, Smash is an awesome long iron to win on 15 rolls in the birdie to retake the lead over Minwoo Lee. And then he thinned a long iron into the bunker on 17 short right of the green par three. Uh, and he's got a longish bunker shot. It's back into the wind, and he just clips this thing so nice, lands it five feet behind the hole, spins it back into the hole, lets loose an awesome celebration, goes up by two, makes a mess of the 18th, and uh, two putts for a bogey to have a, uh, you know two sh- only a two-shot lead over Minwoo Lee, who almost chipped in uh, for Eagle to tie it. But third career DP World Tour win for Victor Perez should launch him to somewhere around uh, 60th in the world. 
I regret that this tournament is on a lot, very early in the morning and don't get to watch a lot because Yas Links is a fun golf course, way better than Abu Dhabi Golf Club that uh, you know used to host it with the Big Falcon, uh, which had the Hero Cup last week. The wind blows, it's wide, it's got cool green contours. It's just a refreshing change of pace for for this golf tournament, and it's uh, it's a delightful watch. But big win for for Victor Perez, not a big dick win. TC tried to call it a big dick win. Getting way too liberal with that phrase. It's, it was not. Like, Podrick Harrington finished in, like, fourth place. Let's just not get carried away. It was a nice win for Victor. TC was back-channeling with me, trying to... He was like Bobby Valentine with the disguise on. He's texting. Make sure you guys talk about this on the pod. Don't let Solly get away with this on the pod. Make sure he knows it's a big dick win. Ludwig's in the field, which he wasn't. Uh, just a lot, just a lot of a lot of stuff coming that in from is our parents. So cowardly to not do that on the group chat where I could defend myself. That is so what? cowardly, TC. I, I think he's trying to. I think he's trying to uh, stick to his no slack during vacation promise. So he's just he's back channeling on the text. Yeah, our Paris correspondent is. He seems to be seems to be uh, you know up in arms over there. I was gonna give Podrick a shout out. He was trying to be the oldest winner on the on the Euro Tour DP Amazing. World Tour. Yeah. So yeah. you know. I know what you were using that as a way to say like, ah, oh, the field's not that deep. But like, shout out to him, uh, your boy Norin T five or T four. Norin's playing playing some good golf. Minwoo Lee's fun to see up there. Uh, shout out to Blandy, you know, very fun and, and easy to make fun of the the live guys. But uh, Blandy seems like a guy that's kind of when he has had an opportunity to play some non live golf, he he's tended to show up. I think. Uh, and I'm with you on Yas Links. It looked like maybe it was the. All the red hospitality was just reminding me of the Ryder Cup, but it, a bit of a like Middle East uh, whistling straights vibe around mm. those some of those greens, right? It's very fun to see like those guys get mega short sided and have like really gnarly chips up and over stuff. It was just I had a fun time watching that tournament too. Uh, I would like to shout out Victor Perez, uh, Frenchman. Not you know potential to be like who would you guys say is the best Frenchman in modern it's golf history? I mean it's. Dubuisson, oh. it's Vandeveld. After that, it gets a the list gets a little light for me, which has always kind of surprised me that French the, the French yeah. don't have a more robust you know roster of performance. I would say not by career accomplishments, but Mike Lorenzo Vera is the goat French golfer ever. He's the best. Oh, like good answer. I did a podcast with him. It's a great listen. Go back and I was like, hey man, do you have do you have headphones by chance? He's like, nope. Sorry, man. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll work around it. That's totally fine. That's totally fine. Uh, he he was the best. He was such a great interview. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think who else. Would, uh, Alexander Levy, I think, is you know a, a name. I couldn't tell you too much about him, but uh, there's not really not really too many up there. Which that's a little Levey almost won a major. Yeah. It's a little um, surprising to me that that there's not a. I don't know much about French like the golf culture in French in France, but it's always been a surprise. Since du- didn't have Ray almost win that Pebble Beach? Yeah, have Ray. That's a good one. He's been he's made some noise, but nobody's winning anything. Yeah, it's not French golf. I I don't have a huge knowledge of French golf, but as I understand it, it's very much the the private golf scene. Not a lot of golf publicly available um, in in a lot of places like Germany and France and things like that. But that's that's not my area of expertise. Which is interesting so. though, because France is a proud like sports country. So that's why it's, I guess, why it's surprising to me that there's not a bigger push into, you know, high-level golf. Nikolai Hoygaard, I feel like, you know, TC's going to come at us for that one. Let's just cover our bases. Uh, top 10 for him. And uh, my guy Adrian Moronk from Poland playing some really good golf as well. Up, uppercase G? Yeah, I think he is. 
On the LPGA Tour, Brooke Henderson put the field in a body bag at the Hilton what is it, Hilton Grand Vacations? I forget what it, what exactly it's called, but she's her 13th career win at the age of 25, her third win in the last eight months. Uh, she held a wire-to-wire uh, win. This is She's won every single year of her career dating back to 2015, other than the weird 2020 COVID year, which was quite challenging on Canadians. And, uh, and so it, it just kind of felt like she was the forgotten woman there for a little while. And it, she seems poised to, she just seemed more, um, she looked a lot more athletic this week. I don't know. I, I feel like her golf swing has looked a little funky to me over the years and not very visually appealing. And now it just seems very much like, Oh, that ball is going exactly where she wants it to. And she seemed incredibly in control of her game for all, all the golf that I watched this week, which yeah, she should 16 under Maya Stark and Charlie Hall finished second at in a tie at 12 under par. So it was it was smooth coasting for Brooke. Almost too smooth. Like I, I kind of wanted to watch more of that tournament. I, I really like like Nona first LPGA event of the year. Uh, but it was I mean, she was just on cruise control. Like it was so obvious that she was going to win that it was it was kind of, you know, kind of almost almost made it a little bit boring. But wire to wire, always fun when when you start leading by three and you win by four. You know, I always always respect for for somebody who does that. And then I think the other thing to shout out for for really both her and Nelly, uh, big equipment switches. So it's always you, you never quite know how the how the fourteen brand new clubs in the bag are are going to go. I, Henderson was always a ping player, but switched and uh, goes and wins her first first start out with uh, TaylorMade, and I, Nelly switched TaylorMade as well and finished what fifth, fourth, uh, solo like fourth, yep, five back, yeah. So. Said said only because you know that's that's a big wrinkle that that can cause some issues. So not that we're not that it's you know write it off. It's going to be a, a massive success you know forever. But it's it's good to see good early returns. You know something like that can, especially in the women's game where the money is is different. And I think players maybe I'm not saying those two necessarily fall into that camp, but I'll just say I think you see a lot of players playing PXG clubs uh, because of the money that they pay, and they probably leave a lot of performance on the table. So I think especially on the LPGA, you, you don't want that to derail anybody's decision-making or, or performance. And so it's good to see both of them play well this week. And I think worth worth giving Marty Fish a shout-out. Oh, I mean, he's just a killer, man. You just have every, it's all about the celebrities in this event, not about the women for you, Neil. I see <laughs> no, exactly where you're going No, that's not it. I just, every time I turned it on, it was, it was Marty Fish or Annika that was on the screen, which is... I'm I'm basically calling out what I was watching. So my if that's your issue, then I would go talk to uh, the broadcast about it. No, I, but it, it so it seems I, I want to bring this up. It seems like the things that get the internet in a li- bit of a you know get a little, all hot and bothered don't seem to bother the LPGA players, and that they seem to know what this event is. It's kind of a hit and giggle. I mean, there's only what 30 players in the field on the women's side, and they so they play. They invite a bunch of celebrities and former. I mean, Annika's a former LPGA star, of course, to play in the event. To, I imagine that helps with TV ratings. It seems to be like everyone is having fun there. There was a kerfuffle earlier in the week that there was no lockers available uh, for the LPGA Tour players, which, again, got kind of the internet up in arms. You had a bunch of the women spoke out, and they were like, no, nah, it was the same last year. Like, I, re- I really don't think the focus should be uh, outside of the golf that's going to be played this week. And I, I, this event just feels really caught between a bunch of different things for me, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but... Um, it, on the surface, it's like, holy shit, this seems like the women would be furious about not having lockers. Uh, and yet a bunch of like Ali Hewing, Jessica Corda, Marina, Alex, like all spoke out saying like, no, it's not big of a deal. You shouldn't be making a big deal out of this. And I don't know. It's just a very confusing 
confusing week on the LPGA tour. Cause then they go off for several weeks uh, after this. And it's just like a weird kind of kickoff, almost like a preseason event that somehow still counts. Yeah. And I think on the locker stuff, I, I tried very hard to uh, not uh, think about that too much this week, but I, I'm guessing that where I believe it all stemmed from Beth Ann Nichols report, right. And golf week about how, you know, there's no locker room access and all this stuff. I, I think I always uh, get frustrated when players push back on that type of reporting because I think that the LPGA, like, that's exactly what they do need. And I think this whole, like, why don't you just cover cover the birdies and bogeys? That's what people really want to hear. It's like, ah, they don't always, though. Like, that that's that's really good in theory. But I think the the number one rule in the in the content game is uh, you can't have too big of a, a difference or a disparity between, like, the coverage that people want to see and the coverage that you want people to want to see. Right. And I think there's a lot going on on the LPGA always about like, Oh, if you would just like put up the scoreboard, everybody would see how good these players are. It's like, dude, that's, that's not how it works. And I think what Beth Ann does as like a really good champion for not only, you know, women's golf, but just golf in general is like trying to cover it the way that the men would be covered and try to highlight like, Hey, if we're trying to make all of these strides, in women's golf, these are the kinds of things that we need to fix. These are the kinds of things that are absolute bullshit that that should not happen anymore. And so to see players push back against that was almost like, yo, you guys are like losing the fucking plot here. Yeah. In my but opinion. I think my reaction to that though is like if there's no lockers for the players and the players aren't mad about it, then I don't really know what the story is there, right? You know, that that's kind of my thought. Like if all if all the players were mad and then they got mad at at, at Beth for writing Beth Ann for writing the report. I would totally agree with that, right? I, and going back to like what happened with the the CME dinner last year and, and the the LPJ players looking really bad and her report on that, like that goes firmly in the category of what you just said in terms of yes, like we're covering this like a real sport here. Like the, you guys did not show up for your sponsor for this dinner. Like something very wrong happened here. Versus like, ah, eh, if the players aren't really rumbling about it, aren't upset about it, then there's no great injustice here. I, I don't really know. Where, where that really fits in the, in the I'm, puzzle. I'm kind of going to ride the fence here. I, I sort of agree with you both. So Ali, I see your point, but I, w- I would almost say, like, I think the players should expect more then. I mean, if there's locker rooms to be had, like, why the fuck aren't they in the men's locker room? You, like, that's, to me, that is bullshit. Like, just as a outside observer, I'm like, well, is there a locker room at this course? Yes. Like, why aren't we using it? What's What's the deal here? And that, that's where maybe I don't I just don't think Beth Ann, I mean, she's been doing this for so long and knows the tour so well that I don't think she's ever just trying to stir up controversy. Like just because maybe a player wasn't on the record about it doesn't mean that players weren't upset about it. I think there were some very, very vocal players that were saying, you know, we need to stick up for the sponsor. And that's true to an extent for sure. But I'm going to guess without talking to her at all, like I'm going to guess Beth Ann probably had more that either couldn't be on the record or, you know, something that was pushing her to write that story that didn't just didn't and just Matilda Cashman was on the record in it. I'm not yeah. saying no one was, but it just it it uh it I don't know. It was it's a weird a weird thing for the players to get upset about her writing the article too. I just I is a kind of a weird jump start to the season on, on the LPGA tour. I can't tell if things are things are not going well over there or not. It doesn't seem great if I was to from the outside looking in. I would agree with that. And uh, just speaking of covering it like a real sport and things that don't seem great, uh, first kind of alerted to this by the excellent preview that that Randy and Tron and Cody and and Jen put together on the LPJ side. What's going on with the Thai players, man? 
Patty Tavitanikit, 78-78 on the weekend. Arya Jutanagarn, 84 in the first round. They they both would be the caboose in this tournament, finishing la- you know last and second to last. Just very, very weird stuff that really bums me out because I love watching both of them play. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that, but it's something to something to keep on the radar for this year. Um, and yes, please check out. We're, we're doing some bonus content this year on the No Laying Up podcast feed. We are keeping the same same cadence to our podcast, but adding an extra episode, I believe 20-ish, 22 times maybe throughout the course of the year, usually published on Thursdays or around major championships. We'll be live on Fridays and Sundays uh, around the women's majors, not counting the Avion because it's not a real major. And some periodic updates throughout the year, uh, extra bonus episodes that drop on Thursdays. So check it out. There's a preview that those guys and Jen from Gruder Golf did. Uh, it was fantastic. It had me. It's just the uh, the amazing effect of like, gosh, it makes me want to flip on the the Hilton right now and watch these a lot of these people they were talking about because it just added a whole different layer around it. And uh, that's so how true. I felt after watching the the Netflix tennis series, which we can talk about. It's just context. Well. So it's yep, so true. And and I will yeah. say, I don't know if it's a celebrity pro am that they're playing. It's more of just like a retired baseball player and Marty Fish <laughs> pro am. It's celebrity. That word's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, the word there. celebrity. I don't know if it's celebrity. It's like former athlete pro am. Yeah, we got to We're gonna do a Ryder Cup segment after this, but we've got to do a, a quick touch in on. Feels like this. I can't believe this was this week that uh, a TV deal for Live Golf was announced with the CW. Um, according to release, uh, the second and third rounds of live weekend tournaments will air on Saturdays and Sundays on the CW and the CW app. The opening round will be streamed on the CW app. Uh, financial terms of the deal weren't released. Sources told ESPN that is a revenue sharing agreement. Live golf won't receive rights fees from the CW network uh, and would continue to pay production costs as it did during its inaugural season in 2022. The CW will will continue to tag them on Instagram. Uh, there will not be, <laughs> you will not be paid for your work, but we, it could be good exposure for you. We will tag you on Instagram. Uh, my reaction to this was kind of like, man, I don't even, I, I just don't even really want to like joke about it. I don't really like have, uh, uh you know, it, it just seems, I, I, I honestly couldn't believe that the live boys, the BOIs, uh, were like touting this as a huge win for live golf and that, uh, they, they, Norman was saying all kinds of things. They had all kinds of bidders on this. It was like, dude, the, CW didn't even buy this. Like nobody even bought this. Like there were no bidders for the, this. The home of and seven. Now their product, the, the one thing Creek. they had an advantage of was their, their shit was so easy to find and watch yeah. and, on YouTube. And now it's going to be on the CW app. Nobody's going to download and watch that. Uh, I think honestly, if I were to guess on this, I'm curious, guys, you guys overall opinions on it. I think they're embarrassed by the amount of the, the fact that you can see how many people are watching it and they want to move away from that model. They're going to a non-Nielsen rated channel now, so they get to make up their viewing numbers. And I, I think that's a non-zero part of this equation that like they did not like that you could see that 13,000 people were watching the Bangkok uh, live event. That's a fair point, Sally. I think there's something to that. I also think there's something to just the type of there's a lot of status involved with the whole operation. So the ability to say like, oh, we have a deal. We have a partner. It's going to be yes. on quote TV, right? Like that's a big deal. A lot of people said we couldn't do it. Yeah. They said we couldn't do it. And I think like even we, like just to bring it back home to us, like years ago, you know, we've had different broadcast companies, channels say like, hey, we want to redistribute your content here. And, and it sounds great. But then you start to dig into it and you're like, wait a second, like, we can put it, you want us to put it exclusively over here and then we're going to like share like whatever deal you do, or we could just put it out for everyone to see and control our own destiny. 
It's like, I would rather do the one, the second one. Right. And it's like, but I think to your point, Sally, like there's a, there is a little bit of a, a status thing and a, uh, you can't see the view numbers. Like we can kind of uh, control the message a little better. So I, I think there's something to that for sure. I think there is a bit of a, uh I agree fully with what you guys are saying. And I think it's it so much of this on the leadership, which again has continued to jump ship apparently. Uh I think their biggest directive was just like get this thing on TV and now they can say that they succeeded in that. I I agree with you completely there. Uh I think there's some hypocrisy going on as far as what the goal of this whole thing is, because you know, from what I've been told. Uh, this is young and disruptive. Look how fucking cool our viewers are. You know, we've got we've got whoever the hell is coming to our tournaments. We've got a DJ going on here. We've got music on the range. We've got blah, 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 blah. Uh, to take it to like very, very, very basic cable TV away from YouTube, where like, I, like you were saying, you could have just been in front of everybody on the planet all at once feels like a step backwards to me and reading a little bit more about the CW it seems like they have been uh i mean they're basically just like syndicated reruns of fucking smallville and riverdale and you know stuff like that don't forget or seven, like seventh new, heaven seven, i don't know if is seventh heaven still on in, in syndication it used I to be check. on CW uh but they they're doing that and then like you know some expensive like young people's scripted programming and their ratings have just been awful. So like reading, I, I read one thing I, it was like on TV line or something that was about how they're going to pivot towards like older consumers because their median age of their viewers, like 56 or 57. 58. And so to me, I'm like uh, 58. That, sorry. Uh, so to me, I'm like, well, okay, you're clearly doing this to make it easier for the olds to find your product. Uh, and check some of those like management boxes, which just seems like you're trying to recreate as as was kind of the prediction, just like a way shittier version of the PJ Tour that's harder to find with worse players. Which uh, like surprisingly, I'm not super interested in watching. Uh, but I I do think where I'll give them a little bit of credit if if we're talking about that specific hyper specific like demo on a Sunday afternoon when. You know, somehow, I don't even know, but this is like the thing is like, I don't even know how they're going to hear that this is going on. But like, if word spreads that like Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith are battling down the stretch at Rich Harvest Farms or whatever, like, this does make it a little easier for an older crew to find it, right? And to scroll on your TV and, and find that back nine. I think compared to what we said about the, you know, I don't want to speak out of both sides of our mouth, but like, compared to what we said about the Amex. I think those first two rounds are just like a very, very disposable content. So like in no sense, like who gives a shit where it lives anyways, right? Like we just got done saying that the Amex is not really worth watching Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. And so on this, like, do I think anybody, anybody is going to tune into the CW app to watch golf on Friday? Sorry, golf, but louder on Friday. Uh, I don't, I don't think any, I think those streaming numbers are legitimately going to be like in the four figures maybe but does it make it a little easier to find the back nine on sunday i think it does i think I, i'd love to like learn about the actual human behavior of watching television right i mean I, it was surprised to me in, in learning this that like cbs and nbc are the two most watched networks in the united states i just i i, 
I just am surprised by that, right? I, I don't Do you know, know how, how easy it is to find Channel Four and yeah. Channel yeah, Five. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Your, like they, your, there's that's like that's why the PJ Tour is what it is. Yes, golf ratings or the PJ Tour ratings are boosted by this this like habit of I'm assuming older people flipping on the same channels since they were however many years old. Like that's that's what it is, right? If you go watch. LPGA ratings on the golf channel, which is only golf fans versus being on NBC, the NBC ratings blow it away. And I think that's purely just habit. Like of people, what are the sports channels? I'm going to flip through these and see what sports are on. And I, again, I, I would, I don't know enough about human behavior to understand that. Cause I, I just know golf. Now who is adding, who is, who has the CW in their like channel flipping mode for watching sports. Like who is already sitting there, their existing audience on the CW is not going to care about live golf. And like, are, there's not, there's clearly not enough fans of live golf to flip over and have any meaningful impact when they could watch it for free on YouTube. Nobody was watching it. And so I, I, I just, I think this is, that's where I go back to their embarrassment of the actual numbers on YouTube to say like, all right, we got on TV, did our job. And now I just blows my mind that Cam Smith can be playing golf on the on the CW like that. That's uh, the CW app. Okay. Well. First off, Sorry. CW is Kirkland Signature WGN, and and not even like T, it's like TBS then WGN then CW right like it's 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 a you know I, yes I've heard of it but like I haven't watched it since I was in middle school, and two if I was a consultant for Live what I would say and you can hire Icarito if you'd like. Uh, yeah, you know, you wouldn't say no to the money. You wouldn't say no. I'd say <laughs> stay on fucking YouTube if you weren't scared about the view numbers. Try to grow it and sell direct like billboard sponsorships to the My Pillow guy, right? Put him in the background right. and get as many fucking eyeballs as you can and start selling like they do at Yankee Stadium for you know who but WB Mason. Like that's to me a better route because you're still in growth mode. All of a sudden you're gonna go be invisible over here on channel forty six. Or whatever channel it is, yeah. but it's definitely not channel four. So I, I'm with you, Solly. I think it's a, a bit of a vanity play here. Well, and it seems like what what is consistent with with that is, look, in the lead up to live launching for like two and a half years, we were warning people, anyone that would listen. I was stopping people on the street, like you're not even going to believe <laughs> what's happening with golf right now. That that something was brewing. There was an undertone, like there was so much smoke. And there were warning signs. And like, even when things blew up last February, we had all had a, a nice laugh for like a week. And we got back to like shouting from the rooftops, like, no, 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 they're going to put up tournaments. Like they're going to have a tour. There's going to be people that go and play this. Now, did they get way more big names than I thought they would? And you know, a hundred percent. I just, we were adamant that it was not dead. And there was just because there was so much outside evidence that supported that to that point. And that is just not what is going on right now. Like I've been digging and digging. I'm not able to uncover anything that makes me think that Liv is in for a big year. There's not even like fake juice coming from Liv anymore. And I will again, raise my hand as being dead wrong if this ends up being wrong. And again, emphasize my surprise at everything they've overcome and are able to you know, overcome to make it successful. But it would be a way bigger upset now than it was a year ago for them to surge forward this year, just based on the general rumblings we're hearing or, or not hearing for that matter. Like I just don't, I honestly don't know of a single play they have to make any meaningful difference in the coming year. The last point I make is if the CW deal had revenue attached to it, I'd feel differently. 
But the fact that like it probably doesn't. That's <laughs> and, the. And it's like there's a difference be? between a TV deal and a bad TV deal. Like what's worse than no deal is a bad deal. And you guys just signed a fucking bad deal. Like this, it, it just be so you could say you did. And that's that's kind of that. I rest my case. I don't know. I'm I'm with you, Sally, in that like I don't know if it's if it's people like being with like a crippling fear of being wrong or if it's some sense of like objectivity in reporting this news or something. But I, I just don't get how people can't look like trust their own eye on a lot of this <laughs> stuff. Like you you they've signed no new players except for like Mito, maybe. Maybe like nobody even cares enough to find out if Mito is part of Live or not. <laughs> uh they like signed a TV deal where they're not going to get paid and they're going to bury their stuff on the CW app. Uh, executives are apparently quitting, like, in mass. I just don't, like, who who thinks, like, it, people still, like, after all of that are just like, well, you know, we'll have to see. We'll see how it goes. You know, we'll just, we'll, they got a lot of money. We'll see. It's like, yo, what, what are you doing, man? Like, just call it like you're seeing it here. This is, it's not good over there, guys. They've only announced seven of their events for this year as of now. Oh, yeah. They also haven't announced their full schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Which that is actually consistent with last year, though, because around this time we were still screaming like, yeah, name one event you're going to have. And they didn't. And they managed to pull off eight events successfully, if I may say that. So that part doesn't uh, stick out as much to me. But if you'll allow me, I want to introduce a new segment to the show that I think, you know, we don't always have to have it every week, but I'm calling it uh, This Week in James Hahn Tweets. Uh, and again, I want to emphasize this of uh, James Hahn was uh, uh, on the PGA Tour policy board as a player director. As of last year, there was a tweet that went out that said people will make fun of the TV network, age of some of the players, the OWGRBS, shotgun format, the funding, the music, whatever. All Live does is forge ahead, gain more market share and do what they said couldn't be done while the PGA Tour and its minions are asleep at the wheel. James Hahn quote retweeted that with well said. And he was met with responses like, is it well said, though? And uh, as you drive to a PGA Tour event and, oh, God, and, oh, I hope third leg Greg sees this. And none of this is true. And has Liv not invited you yet, James? Uh, figured you were right in their wheelhouse of 300-ish in the world. And lastly, fucking leave already. Again, one of the people in charge of making the policy at the PGA Tour, uh, being obsessed with uh, all the things going right at Live, and be the only guy that voted against all the changes to the PGA Tour. And that's James Hahn. So forging ahead. Which, if I can bridge this into something else, and there was, you know, the podcast we had with John Romless last week, and the clip that went out on social media was kind of me. I was trying to challenge John a little bit of like PGA Tour players, like you guys kind of could have come to this conclusion earlier that you all needed to play together, right? And it wasn't like PGA Tour management's job to dictate like, hey, or to change all the structure of all these things we're working and dictate a schedule to you. And I've heard so much talk over the last months and years of like leverage, leverage, finally the players have leverage, finally the players have leverage. And I've always struggled with that concept because there's not, uh, you know, it didn't really completely dawn on me to the point where I'll finally, I think, say this out loud for the first time is there's a lot of discussion around this leverage thing and what Liv has driven regarding the PGA Tour. And I think people, including myself, maybe have misconstrued things about how the PGA Tour works, how management works, and things of that nature. Like, the players are the PGA Tour. You know, there's no need for a union. There's not collective bargaining against an ownership group. It's not like other sports in that regard. It's not like the PGA Tour management is rejecting all of the ideas from the players. Like, the players do have control. Now, for too long, 
the power within that power that the players have as a group has not been held by the people that have the most value. Meaning like the median PGA tour player has had too much power within the player group. And it's contributed to why there's so many events, why FedEx cup points get spread so thin all over the season. And live hasn't necessarily given PGA tour players more leverage over management in my opinion, but it has given the best and most valuable players in the world leverage over the average to mediocre player that has held too much power for too long. And like John Rob's not going to say that part out loud. Right. But it finally seems like it's like saying, no, like we're getting our share of the pie here or else like we're going to play golf elsewhere. Like <laughs> things can't stay the way they are. And that conversation would have been really difficult without an existential threat to the group. So I, I think I've kind of inherently thought that in my head, but I haven't said that out loud of like, the top players needed leverage against the rest of the group that was bigger in numbers, but not bigger in value. And they finally got that. And that is what's driven the change. The duck side, the duck size horses, the duck size horses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I don't want to reheat the OWGR stuff, but I, but then I also like the idea that like, there's still a system in place where there's a, a bit of a meritocracy where it's like, yeah, these guys are getting rewarded with massive purses and these elevated events. But yo, if you play well, you could get yep. into those because you're still getting more points for, you know, the the full field stuff. All right, moving on to uh, one of my favorite segments. This I'm, we're finally kicking off a Ryder Cup year. Uh, this is brought to you by our friends at BMW, who are of course partners of ours and partners of the Ryder Cup. We're going to be doing check-ins monthly throughout the course of the year, and I'm kicking this off. For our January episode, I want to go through. I, I I gave you guys a homework assignment, and I want you to draft your U.S. Ryder Cup team as of January 22nd as we're recording this. We're going to do a Europe one. We're going to wait for TC to get back for that one. So hang on, our friends across the pond. Uh, but I want to hear your guys' 12 players for the Ryder Cup. as of, If you had to go right now to Marco Simone, who are you taking with you? A couple questions. We're saying the Ryder Cup is next week. I'm saying you got to make your team right now, yeah, I yeah. think. Okay. Or, and do and it's however you interpret it. Okay. Who's on your team? Who are you taking a run right now? If you had to set your team right now, let's put it that way. Okay. So I, I did mine in order of locks. So like the most locked to the least locked. Uh so if you if you want, Neil, I don't know if you did yours in the same way. Uh maybe we can compare notes a little bit so we're not. Yeah, I kind of went power ranking too, Deej. I I I, 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 we're going to, if we're going to, I need a list from, from one person to the next, because otherwise we're going to cross pollinate. Could we go one, 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 two, two, two. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. That's where I'm saying our teams are going to get super. Yeah, that's, convoluted. that's fine. Just, just skip over. If, say I had him at, at whatever number, if somebody else brings him up. Okay. Okay. So starting with my list, I, number one lock of all locks, not worried about it at all. Number one, Justin Thomas. Number one for me as well. Number one is Justin Thomas. Number two for me, I had uh, a guy. I know Neil's worried about him. I'm not worried, but he slots in just behind JT. That is uh, Scott Scheffler. I had Scott Scheffler at number two as well. My number two for safest to be on the team is Jordan Spieth. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's interesting. JT and Spieth are going to play golf together in Rome. Like that. That's, that's happening. Uh, it would take such a ridiculously poor year from Spieth to not be on that team. That's happening. Uh, uh, well, I had him on my list as well. Uh, he was number ten on okay. my list. Yeah, he's gonna, uh, so I don't I, care what the, the data says. <laughs> I had him at six. Be on this team. He's going to be there. That's very interesting. Okay, I love it, Sally. Number three for me, and and really three and four kind of go together on this list. Could be interchangeable, but a lot of the same reasons you're saying there. I have Xander and Cantlay, three and four, respectful. Respectful. I 
uh, based on performance, I have Max at three. Ooh. I think, I, I mean, T3 it. at Century, wins in the fall, wins last year, played great at the President's Cup. I think Max is like a a total lock for this team. I had uh, Scotty at number three because I haven't used him yet like you guys had, but I also have uh, Cantlay and Xander at four or five kind of uh, bridge. that they're, they're together as well, so... I will. I'll pick up on yours, Neil. I had I had Max on my team as well, but down at number eight. Just you know, no disrespect to our guy, but uh, you know, let's let's see it in the majors, right? I know we saw it in the Presidents Cup, but I think he would he would be first to say that as well. Let's let's see a good big major year. I still think he's on the team, but that would only make me feel better. Uh, number five, I had uh, a guy I've always ridden for, big motherfucking tone. Mm. <laughs> at number five, just an absolute lock to be on the team. So my four is Zalatoris, and my five is Colin Morikawa. Okay. And I feel like those guys both – Zalatoris, I think, has earned it. And the if you go to the Ryder Cup page, he's at – I think he's two or three. Um, and then Colin, I think he's got enough experience where he fits in there too, and he's, you know, he's, he's played – hadn't played great, but he's earned it probably with, with previous appearances. I mean, he and DJ balled out at Whistling Straits. They did. I'm going big tone is my number six uh, on the list there, Pie Man. Neil, I love it. Zalatoris is number two on the current standings, which we can get to in a second. Uh, I had him down my list a little bit at number nine, uh, just because I'm still eh, still a little worried about the back stuff. I don't know. He came back at Century, you know, played well. Uh, it looked like he played okay this week. I, I, I'm sure he's uh, hopefully he's he's doing well, but it's still just a, a little little tickle of a concern uh in the back of my mind so i i have more cow at number six for all the reasons you mentioned um and then moving down the list i had cameron young at number seven uh just ahead of max purely giving the edge to the majors uh that we saw last year and and kind of some of those golf courses i think it'll help to learn more about uh Marco Simone, but you know, and I believe I, I mentioned Max at number eight. Uh, I mentioned Zalatoris at number nine. I mentioned Spieth at number 10 earlier. So the only other thing I'm going to add is Sam Burns at number 11. Uh, and uh, same thing, you know, kind of has fallen off the map a little bit, but looked great at the president's cup. And, and I would be kind of shocked if he's not on the team. Where, where do you, where do you guys have uh catch me up to, to number 11? I'm, I'm kind of right there lockstep with you. I mean, you have Cantlay and Xander a lot higher than I do, but I have Cam Young at seven. I have Spieth at six because I think he's in, but I can't give him the second spot like Solly did. Uh, I've got Cam (laughs) Young at seven. I've got Xander at eight, Tony at nine, Cantlay at 10, and Sam Burns at 11. Um, Sweet. And I feel like this team, like there's one spot to me, then I have like five or six guys, but like the one to 11 is like, it's hard to say, like those guys are all locks to me right now. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> I'd ride with I'd ride with that squad all day long. So all you have any differences in that top eleven? Well, so seven is my is Morikawa for me. Um, and then I go Sam Burns at eight, Zalatoris nine, Max is ten for me, and Cameron Young's eleven. I need to see a little bit better putting out of Cameron Young this year. I I, I need to see it, right? And I I, I I would be surprised if there wasn't a little bit of regression from Cameron Young this year. Um, he had such an incredible year last year, and he was okay in the President's Cup. He wasn't anything that blew me away, and I just think he's going to have to play some really good golf again this year to earn that spot back. So, the, the real, the real, uh, you're right. The 11, 11 guys were really easy. 
And honestly, as we're sitting here right now, I don't think 12 is very difficult either. And I'm worried we're all going to have the same exact team. Well, also, I haven't, I'm still a coin flip. I have two guys I haven't picked. I just want to say Dustin is Johnson yet. is still on the Ryder Cup page. So he's one of my two guys. So you can throw him on at 12 for me. I'd be very yeah. happy with that team. <laughs> I, I am a coin flip right now between Taylor Montgomery and Dustin Johnson. And I think it it depends what you want to say about the live stuff. I actually, honestly, I was kind of convinced by Rom's case for live players uh, playing the Ryder Cup. And you guys kind of going back and forth on that. Really, I, I think I am kind of lockstep with you guys on like, hey, this is not a PJ, you know, this is kind of a PJ Tour versus live thing. It's not a PJ of America Ryder Cup versus live thing. And Dustin is the kind of guy, like, I don't think he's coming in the team room and and totally, you know, nuking the chemistry, honestly, people don't even seem like mad at him, even though he's basically the precipitating event that caused everything <laughs> yes. to happen. Uh, and so, uh, like, personally, would, would I feel a little differently towards Dustin Johnson? I think I would, but these guys really don't seem to. Uh, so I think as of right now, just because he's a Dustin's a question mark and we haven't seen him play in like months and months, I'll take Taylor Montgomery because he's like one of the hottest players in the world. But if you get to, you know, like late July, August, and Dustin is just beating people's brains in in these live events and flashes in the majors a little bit. Like you're, it's not going to be hard to convince me. You mean you don't want JJ Spawn or Hogecoin? It's it's interesting. I guess you know we'll see where we we'll see where we get to. But right now, right now I'm selling Hogecoin. But <laughs> I do think he's a really good player. I think he's this is woefully unfair of me, and this is where the like you know analytics shuts off and the golf fan turns on. Like I'm just I'm good on on Tom Hoagie on the on, on the Ryder Cup team. I just I, I don't really want to be in that world. I don't want to be around anymore. If that's going on. <laughs> Neil, I gotta I gotta raise a beef here on on Cantley at ten for you. I, he went three zero and one at Whistling Straits. He's one of the five best players in the world. He fits perfectly with Xander. I, I I'm gonna need an ex- explainer on him being number ten. He's, he's trying not to be a homer. He's trying to he's trying to he's a coach coach's kid. He's trying to I, I think that's you fair. Know, teach a little humility. They were incredible at the Presidents <laughs> Cup too. I was there's a bit of a recency bias with my one to eleven, and that's why like I have Max. I think Max is just. Like, I, I agree with you on the major stuff, but man, the guy wants to be there. He's great for publicity. He's great for the team room. Like, if you're asking me to pick my team, I'm putting him at three. Like, Cantlay to me seems like he's not, he's a, you know, he's a cat. Like, he, people, he's a little bit over here on his own, doing his own thing. Like, he's not, if I'm drafting the but team, Cantlay and Xander are, a, are they're, a, they're a duo. And that's they're why they're, to me, Go. eight and 10. Like, that's where they are on my list as far as like team building guys, right? Like, I have Speeth ahead of them and I shouldn't. And like, you have Speeth at two, where like, that's <laughs> Correct, not right. Because Speeth's going to, they're going to play him a lot. He has a partner. And like that, it, it, Cantlay and Xander are locks for this team. Barring injury, there is almost nothing that could keep I, them off. And this I team. agree with you. I'm not like, yeah. I'm just saying in order of how I would draft them, that's how I would do. Cause I would like to get some young blood on the team too. I think that bodes well for the future. Like I think that Zalatoris and Cam Young should be on this team. And I think you make a good argument about Cam Young and a potential regression, but I also think those guys are absolute bomb threats and you know, they have, they would probably pair pretty well together. So I I've got them a little higher on the list right now. But your your concern or your pushback on me is valid because I have ridden for Cantlay in the past and he is a killer. Who uh, who do you guys got on twelve? It's Taylor Montgomery. It's him. I mean, he's it, it, there's not a lot there right now. And if I had a concern, 
it's kind of what happened with the President's Cup, the Zalatoris injury, the Kisner pick at Quell Hollow just didn't make a ton of sense. And they, you know, it could be Sahith, it could be Aaron Wise, it could be any number of guys that we haven't fully factored in. It could be Davis Riley for all we know. Somebody is probably going to go out and have a great year, but as of right now, it's only one guy that has emerged to be one of the best players in the world, and that's Taylor Montgomery. Outside of DJ, it's the options on the, you know, on the website are, or the rankings would say it's Montgomery, Hogecoin, Kisner, Keegan, Chris Kirk, Brian Harmon, Billy Ho, JJ Spawn. A lot of, lot of horse, duck-sized horses on that list for me. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, like all those guys are good players, but do they get me jacked up to pick them? You know, it feels like a bit of a happy Gilmore. Like Gilmore, you were on that list, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Better luck next year. So are you going Montgomery as well, Neil? I honestly could see myself going like Go with Hoge Billy Coin. Ho. You won't do it. I, I think I, I might take Billy Ho, like just for veteran. Really? Like attitude. That's I what would, you saw at the President's Cup? Yeah, I would love that. He was that. bad. Yeah, that's fair. I would fair. love that a year, a year ago. I, yeah. I was on that block for a really long time. That's an old guy's pick for me of like, oh, no, Billy Ho's a competitor, man. He's so he plays so hard. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a stupid <laughs> take for me. I'm hand up. That's a bad take. I'm, I'm with you. You know what? I'm going Megacore. I'm going Brian Harmon. Send it. I would listen to that. <laughs> yeah, I would listen to that. Totally. I, mean, I don't Especially know enough if, about Marco Simone, but if they manipulate it, it, it could make I sense. I feel like right? Harmon would pair I, well with a lot of guys, right? Like quiet. He's not scared. Of, you know, he's not scared to be there. He's been around a long time. I think Harmon's probably the, the guy on that list that, that, you know, fits in the team the best. I know this is a this is an old take, but like when the NCAA first switched to match play, Harmon was the fucking dude at Georgia in those first Didn't couple he make match Ricky play cry? years as well. He did. Well, yeah, I've, Ricky cried. I don't, and he was after a match against Brian Harmon. I don't know that, <laughs> you know, Harmon can be fully complicit in. Uh, I don't think he did anything specific to make him cry, uh, but yes, that he was he was the event that made Ricky cry. Uh, so I I think he's a, a true like I think he'd be a match play dude. Yeah, um, but who knows? Who knows? Long way to go. It's going to be a great year to follow, and uh, I'm ex I'm excited to track it. So thank you guys for humoring me with that exercise. So keep an eye out. It just makes you view the whole year a little bit differently. Of oh, now who are we taking out of our town? That was a great exercise. And it really for matters because the coaches me are into, Like I got to be thinking about this all year. Yeah, we have to, or else the captains are going to know who to pick. It's, of course, know that they're, <laughs> they're going to get the final advice from us. Uh, that's pretty much all I got for this week. Uh, anything else before we wrap? Long pod, long pod. That was a sneaky long pod. I think the only thing I, I just have extremely quick mention is the uh the badget commercials neil oh, i don't know if you yeah. want to talk about those as well the private aviation commercials i think maybe this could shed some light on all, really some of our owgr conversation and tv <laughs> models and all of these things is like oh it only matters like we're just trying to appeal to like nine people uh we don't really care what what happens to the rest of these people and i think that's how you end up with commercials that are for as i can understand it backup private aviation like what to do when your PJ doesn't show up. What do you usually do? Uh, usually, I just drive after or Uber after that. But uh, when you're I'm in a pinch, start using Badget now. Couldn't gas up the jet. And John Elway shows up, and we ride to the big game together. Uh, just truly 
horrible commercials. Uh, it made me laugh so hard. I think, uh, I think was it Casey that said it, Neil, or you said it, someone on Slack, that I've never seen such an expensive product have such a cheap-looking commercial. Yeah, that was my handiwork. Just a lo-fi <laughs> yeah. commercial about the literally the pinnacle of luxury, which is private aviation. Like, I don't think... I think that's like the true sign of you even heard it from some of these live guys. Like what would, what would change about your life if you took the live money? Well, I'd probably fly private more. Like that's kind of it, right? Like you're on your own schedule. You can buy your own jet. And this, com these commercials are so fucking bad, like poorly edited, bad cameras, the whole nine yards, bad graphics, everything about them. The guys doing that weird voice, the like villain guys doing the weird voice. We should disclose we're sponsored by Wheels Up, of course, and we fly only <laughs> Wheels Up when we travel. That's right. right. That's right. This is exactly. <laughs> After we stop riding D, we hop on our Wheels Up. That's. <laughs> that's. Can we please end it right there? I got nothing else on top of that. That's it. Ba ba even the name sucks. Badge it. If you're in a pinch, badge it. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Tough. Tough. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will be back. Max Homa podcast coming this Tuesday. Um, we'll be back for a farmer's recap. Uh, the tournament starts Wednesday this week. Don't forget that. Wednesday through Saturday this coming week and flipping over to CBS for Friday, Saturday, their debut of the year. So looking forward to that. Uh, we'll see you back here at this time next week. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect 